a call to help the world suffering. But who's listening? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Polifka. Dr. Polifka is an internist and an emergency room specialist who has practiced in New England and now has just returned from Ghana, where he was the chief medical officer of Project Hope's mission there. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm very glad to be back. Could you tell me, how did you get involved with Project Hope? About three years ago, I had decided to segue out of primary care internal medicine and to take a much more perhaps global view about our patient base and was interested in looking for third world volunteer opportunities and quite circumstantially the tsunami occurred the world's worst natural disaster and looked around for various opportunities to participate and was fortunate to be chosen by Project Hope to be one of its members of the medical team to run a joint project with the United States Navy. When you were in private practice and you began to think about volunteerism, how did you begin to balance these what appear to be two careers? I have been interested in volunteerism actually for quite some time. Probably 15 years ago, I heard Leland Kaiser of the Estes Park Medical Futurist, uh, as he calls himself, suggest that we physicians shouldn't necessarily wait around for someone else to fix health care but in fact that we should start locally. And soon thereafter, I actually initiated a school-based health clinic here in our local high school. It was staffed completely by the volunteerism of the physicians of my primary practice. That's what I could do at that time. I had a family, I had a practice, and that was the extent of what I could do. Once my family was grown, my children were out of the house, I was then able to look beyond. When you began to think about Project Hope or going to third world countries, did you think about your own personal health, that you'd be exposed to illnesses and might not have the kind of medical support that you were used to in New England? I certainly kept it in mind, and I am well aware of the need to be careful in such areas. But I don't travel to those areas for the food, which very often if you uh, ate it at a local restaurant or in the street, you might get sick. But I, I also carry a small little armamentarium of things to take care of myself and take care of other health providers that might be with me. Now that you've been in this career for a while, can you step back and say or tell me some of the rewards that you've received personally that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Well, I suspect many people who practice now in the United States become increasingly frustrated with how far we get separated from our patients, from the real reasons why all of us went into medicine in the first place by the red tape, by the medical legal things that continue to separate us again more and more from those one-on-one patient interactions. And I can say quite enthusiastically that all those reasons why we went into medicine in the first place, they're there. When I left my practice here and started practicing elsewhere in the third world, it really is true. Virtually 100% of patients are just incredibly grateful for what you can do for them, whether you can cure them or not. And, and many times you can't. The resources that one can bring may be better than what they have, but they're certainly not what we have here. There no doubt are frustrations that I feel when I can't treat someone as well as I would 
have if, if that same patient was here. But still, there is a feeling, a personal feeling that I have, that these are patients who probably would not have been cared for at all if I didn't show up. You know, there are 45 million people, at least, in the United States who don't get health care or aren't eligible for health care, although our president thinks we can all get health care in the emergency rooms and has said so. And you wonder why we haven't directed some of our own volunteerism here to take care of this increasing number of people who don't have health care. And certainly with our economy turning downward, the number is probably going to become even greater. Do you have any kind of answer to that, not wanting to be contrary? Well, I don't know why. I do think that more of us can give in a way that is appropriate for our particular circumstance in life. Maybe you can't get off and go leave for a month at a time, as I do, but I think that physicians really ought to be looking at ways that they can give of their time. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Palifka, who has just returned from Ghana, where he has continued to pursue a career in volunteerism and has just come back as being the chief medical officer there. What would you say to American doctors who might be considering becoming a volunteer or becoming involved in following a career course similar to yours? Should they be frightened by it? Can they get up to speed? Will they be overwhelmed by the kind of problems they'll face? And to be honest, that most of us have so much backup here in the United States. I think that, first of all, one needs to take on such a new position with as limited prior expectations as you possibly can. If you go with lots of ideas about what you think you're going to accomplish in a brand new area, brand new place that you've not been before, I think very often it's it's a way that one will be easily disappointed. Going with an open mind is certainly much easier to be open to the kind of things that one will face when one is there, both personally as well as professionally. Certainly one needs to be flexible about working in a resource-poor area, whether it's here in the United States or whether it's abroad, and understanding that probably we all have the ability to do lots more than we think by taking small steps into patient areas, patient problems that we may not be familiar with. Keeping in mind that very often in these resource-poor areas, when we show up, there is enormous amount of satisfaction that will occur both professionally as well as from the patients that we see just by the fact that we from the richest country in, in the world have taken on people who are much poorer and established that one-on-one contact. You know, I like the word we because it's Project Hope and it's the U.S. Navy. Could you tell me something about this unique relationship or partnership that's come about? It has been a very interesting partnership. In fact, after the tsunami, the partnership that melted together between Project Hope and the Navy was really the first time that the U.S. Navy and a non-governmental organization have worked together literally shoulder to shoulder. The United States Navy, which has these two very large hospital ships, which were really not being used at all, but unfortunately did not have medical professionals uh, available because they were all being used in conflict areas around the world, not able to staff these. And so this joint relationship started when Project Hope was able to provide the medical volunteers to staff the physical facility, which in the physical form of the hospital ship that we were first on. 
This turned out to be just a win-win situation for both organizations and no doubt for the people professionally who were participating, myself included, being able to come away from, from that project, from that joint project, being able to say that I was, in fact, proud to be an American. The first time that I can remember that I was able to say that since the Kennedy space years. You know, it's uh, interesting that, you're, you know, how proud you were and how proud we are of, of our military. Many people don't realize that the Marines rely on the U.S. Navy for their health care. Corman that serve in Iraq who support the Marines are Navy corpsmen. So you can see why the Navy might be short of medical personnel. I know that in your uh, recent stay in Ghana, you went there mainly as an educator. And the phrase that I've seen written is, train the trainer. Could you tell me what you did in the way of education when you were in Ghana? There were actually three portions to Projects Hope participation in this. We had a group of nurse midwives who were teaching classes to their counterparts, both midwives as well as health promoters who were doing infant delivery in the rural countryside. They were, in fact, teaching them. They were teaching them classes on things that would be appropriate for them to know based upon the knowledge base that we have that they perhaps don't. We also had with us three nurses who were teaching their counterparts, likewise in nursing topics that were appropriate to them. It was then our hope that those people that were being trained would in fact then train others who were in the country after we left. This medical staff that went back into the countryside, did they have difficulty dealing with conflicts between the background or culture that most of the patients were coming from and what one would call Western medicine? I think that in general that was not an issue. Certainly, we need to keep in mind that the patients that are being seen, first of all, are very poor and often desperately ill. We, that is we who go to these areas, we certainly need to be as educated and as sensitive as we can to local customs. But in general, patients are incredibly impressed that we from the richest nation in the world show up to care for them amongst the poorest in the world. Was there a problem as far as the local government? I know there's an elected president. They have a constitution since 1992. They've had certainly lots of problems through the years. This country was known, I think, as the Gold Coast for a long time, and certainly England had a presence as, I believe, so did Denmark. But now they have a parliament. They have a system of justice. Did you get a lot of support from the local government in your mission? We certainly did. There was nothing but warm support from everyone uh, that we met. And it is certainly our, that is Project Hope's desire that we will be asked to return. We heard very often from the staff that we worked with, when are we going to return? We heard from local governmental leaders, again, their hope that we would be returning. Where did your classrooms take place? Did they take place in a clinic? I know you came with the U.S. Navy. Did you use the ship? We did not. This was an entirely land-based operation, so we came with the Navy and we stayed. Half of the team were Navy personnel. They were dental, public health, and veterinary team, and so they were off doing things very different than we were. We were entirely land-based. The classes that we were giving 
were given at the local clinic. They were given in very often rudimentary places. Really what we needed is some electricity and to run a simple projector, and we needed an audience that was there. I'm sure your patients will always remember Project Hope. I think they'll always remember the U.S. Navy more than anything else. For doctors who are thinking of a career change, certainly one has to be impressed by what you have found as you continue this new career in volunteerism. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Polifka, today. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard. I've been your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.